well, today, I'm, it's, I'm kind of surprised. I actually look out here and see all of you. You guys are troopers, man. On, on Labor Day weekend, wow. Everybody's at church? Man, I tell you, um, it is good to look out there and see you today. Um, thankful for what this weekend represents, a time where the American workforce is recognized for our contribution to the prosperity of our nation. And so it's amazing to me that nationally our nation decides that we should have a Sabbath. Isn't that something? A nation where many say don't believe in God, I think it's obvious, it's evident that, that God is still moving in our nation. And every Labor Day I'm reminded of just that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 28. We began a new series today that we've called Shape Up, and I'll talk with you about that in just a minute, what that actually means. Matthew chapter 28. Begin at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, everyone say all. All, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And here I want you to know is the promise of Jesus. I will be with you always, all the days of your life, even to the end of the age, the Great Commission. It was a little more than three years ago that a group of us, leaders at Change Point, went down to Olathe, Kansas for a discipleship conference. And as we sat there in that conference, you know, when you go to conferences, you know, the first day you kind of sit around and everybody's kind of feeling out the conference. I arrived there in the evening, and it was just this vibrant time of praise and worship. But I anticipated the next morning, but little did I know how the next morning, the next couple of days would change my life, would shape my life. I recall sitting at the table with eight, with seven other leaders in the church as Mike Bring spoke to us about discipleship and how the church had moved so far away from its initial purpose and design, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who know how to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we sat there at that table, all eight of us, convicted to the core of our spirit that our church had taken the wrong path and we were headed in the wrong direction. It was the night before we left, we stood, all of us, we, we were at the host family's house and we all happened to make our way out at the same time 
uh, as we prepared to leave and we found ourselves standing out in the front of their yard underneath the street lights and being lit up by the porch light, we were standing in a circle. And we all covenanted with each other that we are not going to go back and do church the same anymore. That the only way that we would ever experience the fulfillment or the completion of our vision, which is life in Christ for every Alaskan in the world beyond, is to do what Jesus said to do, and that is to make disciples of Christ. And so we, we set out to do just that. So over these next few weeks, I'm going to talk to you about discipleship. And so today, whenever I open a series, I want to set the foundation for what's to come. And so I think it'd be appropriate right now to, to give you uh, my working definition um, that I, I would say I stole from ChangePoint, but I was part of the ChangePoint process when we were working through this, of what a disciple of Jesus Christ actually is. So we talk about tools for discipleship. A disciple is a lifelong student, a lifelong learner. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a person who finds his life hidden in Jesus Christ. Life in Christ describes the reality that I have been adopted by my Father and that all meaning of life is found in relationship with Jesus, that my sin is forgiven and I am no longer condemned, that the wrath of God has been satisfied through Jesus and I am completely righteous in him. A disciple of Christ is compelled by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel to non-believers, to intentionally cultivate the life of Christ in others by training and developing and empowering other Christ followers to do the same. Disciples of Christ are intentional to make disciples boldly proclaiming and demonstrating the life of Christ to others who are lost in this lost and dying world around us. That's what a disciple is. That's what disciple making is all about. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to cover discipleship and we're going to use some basic shapes to describe and more clearly define what God is doing in us and what God is doing through us by way of discipleship. We'll use the circle to define how we hear God's voice clearly. We'll use the semicircle to describe or define how to gain a better balance in the rhythms of our lives. How many of you know that our lives have rhythms to them? We'll use a semicircle to define what that looks like, how to find balance there. We'll use the invitation and challenge matrix to explore the challenge of embracing covenant relationship coupled with kingdom responsibility and representation. And then we'll use the square to talk about the model of leadership that Jesus left behind for us and what he expects us to model. And then finally, we'll spend the last three weeks on the triangle where we explore the three aspects of relationship, our, our vertical relationship with Jesus we call up, our horizontal relationship with others in the body of Christ that we call in, being transformed by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ together. 
and then the out. How to give our lives away, how to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This series will take us through the 25th of October, and then we're going to culminate this series by something very practical that we are going to do as a church together. We are going to reach out to our community, to the surrounding areas here, and provide them a safe place on Halloween to do what others would, would do in, in places with others that have masks on and look like goblins and, and all these kinds of things. No, we're going to provide a safe environment right here to where people not only can come and enjoy one another, but they get a shot at the gospel if they don't know Jesus. That's going to be our out to our community. It's called Trunk or Treat, and I'm looking forward to it, and you're going to hear a whole lot more in the days ahead. Now, some of you are probably saying, Pastor, why are you celebrating Halloween? Because what the enemy means for good, for bad, God can turn it around and use it for his good. How many of you know that? And so we expect that to happen. So today we're going to kick off this series by using the first shape. It's it's a diamond, and, and you know, it's, it's really more like a, like a rhombus, you know, but, but a rhombus really does represent a diamond, too. And so we'll use this shape similar to what you find uh, in the diamond in a suit of cards. So this, you could just, if that was red, you, would, you could see the diamond. Everybody could see the diamond on that? Yeah. So we'll call this the gospel diamond. It's, it's a great way to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on the sole premise that God himself is good. That the God that we serve is good and he is good. And God in his goodness is balanced because God is both just and merciful in his goodness. The justice of God is his commitment to his expression of, of, of truth and the mercy of God is an expression to his commitment to grace. God is good. I want to read to you a passage in Exodus that both describes the justice and the mercy of God and his goodness. Exodus chapter 33 Beginning at verse 19, and give you some context. God is having this dialogue with Moses. And Moses asked God, he says, listen, he said, I, I want to know your ways. I want you to teach me your ways. Will you teach me your ways? And he continues to dialogue with God. And then it gets to the point to where Moses says, and I want you to show me your glory. Show me your glory. And here's what God says to Moses. Verse, verse 19. I will make all my goodness, everybody say goodness. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Drop down to chapter 34, verse 6. Then the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I believe we talked about that a little bit last week, didn't we? 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Mercy. But now look at the second half of that verse. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is both just and merciful in his goodness. He's good. I, I believe that the best way to capture the essence of the goodness of God is to go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation. Because it's in creation that we find the, God, the goodness of God from the very, very beginning. And, and then it's woven throughout the whole creation story. Listen to this. Six times in Genesis alone, six times in Genesis alone, we find God saying that, he was, he, that he's good. He says, I'm good. He creates everything in, in six days. And at each, at the point, at, at the end of each day, he says, he looks at his work and says, oh, that's good. What's God saying? God's saying, I'm good. Now, that might sound a little bit arrogant, but if you're God, Yeah, you can brag on yourself. He says, I'm good. He declares, I'm good. I'm good. And then in chapter 1, verse 31, the Bible says, he, God, looks at everything that he had created, everything that he had created that came from his hand, and he said, it's not only good, it's very good. It's very good. And then God in his goodness creates a creature that bears his image. He creates man. And in God's goodness, he gives man limits in which to operate. He tells man first, he says, I'm going to set you in the garden. I, I want to go back for a minute. Because I, 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 love, I love the creation story. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, creation in Genesis 1. But then it talks about how God did it in Genesis 2. And the Bible says that when God, after he had formed all the animals, he did something special with man. It says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. He formed him. He, he, he fashioned him with his hands. Formed him out of the dust of the ground. And then the Bible says he breathed into man the very essence of his spirit. Now, I was thinking this morning as I was going over this, you know what? If God is good, everything about God must be good. So God must have had good breath, too. <laughs> that took me off on a rabbit trail, you know. <laughs> but God in his goodness breathes into man the very essence of his spirit. And man becomes a living being, a living soul. And then God in his goodness gives man limits. He says, listen, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to dress and to keep the garden. I'm going to put you to work. And then the second thing he says to do, he says, I want you to name all the animals, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. I want you to name all of creation. And then the third thing God says for man to do in his limits is something that he told him not to do. He says, of every tree in the garden, you can eat, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat it, 
you will surely die. Die. I want to say to you today that death is not the cessation of life. Death is the separation of two things that were meant to be together. Death is, is, the, is the tearing apart, it's the ripping apart of two things that are supposed to be joined together. De death is the, is the pulling apart of two things that were designed to be one, that were, was designed to be united together. That's what death is. That's why marriage is so, so tough. Because marriage is the culmination of two people coming together as one. And when that covenant is torn apart, it leaves devastated lives in its wake because it was never meant to be. Divorce was never meant to be. That's why death here, physical death, is so grievous because, because death represents, especially in the life of the follower, just this this moment in time where we are ripped out of relationship that we've enjoyed with our loved ones and we're separated from our loved ones. That's what death does. And so it is in spiritual death. When God created us, he created us to enjoy him eternally. And he, he created us to, to have everlasting life, never to be separated from him. And death, two things that we were created for, and that is to be joined with God and to spend eternity with him, was ripped apart. And the result was isolation in relationship. I want you to write this down because I think it's important. The opposite of death is not life. The opposite of death is relationship. The opposite of death is not life. The opposite of death is relationship. Death would create an eternal separation between God and man, isolation from relationship with God. Death was the penalty and the payment for sin. This is the gospel. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, he says, in verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And that word sin in its literal meaning describes independence. So literally what the writer is saying is that the wages of sin, the payment for sin is independence and isolation. In other words, God says, you want to do things your way? You're going to have to do things your way outside of relationship with me. And so that's the payment for your disobedience. When man took the fruit, he took it by force and took by force what God wanted to give him by faith and that act of disobedience plunged all of humanity into sin. It's in the garden that God had offered eternal relationship, but man rejects it. And when he does, he becomes guilty. 
He transgresses the justice of God. But he also becomes helpless because he's turned his back on the mercy of God. And so now man is both guilty and he's helpless to do anything about it. And remember I told you earlier that the truth of God demands justice. But the grace of God wants to grant mercy. And so, again, remember, though, that man has rejected the goodness of God. And to reject the goodness of God is disobedience. And it plunges us into sin. And again, the requirement for sin is death. Justice demands death as the payment for sin. But what justice, what the justice of God demanded, the mercy of God provided in Jesus Christ. By a show of hands, how many followers of Jesus Christ in this room? Let me see your hands. Put them up one more time. I want you to look around you and look at the hands that are in this room. Just look around you. Look around you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I was reminded this week as I prepared for today just how grateful I am for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. My life is not the same because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Don't take for granted that you have the spirit of God on the inside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't get up in the morning and just take for granted your salvation. And it's easy to do, family, when you know where you're going when you die. But listen, there's so much that God wants to do in us. But if we take for granted being saved, we will never step into what God has called us to do because we won't fully appreciate his sacrifice on the cross. Well, I think that's a good place to say amen. Man couldn't provide help for himself. He was helpless. He was the one. We were the ones that sinned. And I love how, how the writer in John, how John puts it in John chapter 1, talks about the Lamb of God. And, and John also tells us in Revelation that Jesus Christ was a Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world even began, was even laid. Listen to what John says in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning. Everybody say in the beginning. In other words, he was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not, cannot, will not ever overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Listen to this now, followers of Christ, my brothers and sisters. 
but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of what? Full of grace and truth, full of mercy and justice, all wrapped up in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who was in the beginning as God, takes on the form of man and becomes the only worthy sacrifice. The only worthy sacrifice. God hates sin. He hates it. I don't want you to miss that. God hates sin. We won't find anywhere in Scripture where, where, where Scripture tells us that God hates Satan. We won't find anywhere in Scripture where, where, where Scripture says that God hates the sinner. God hates sin. Yet Paul tells us in Romans 5, he says that God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were helpless, and couldn't do anything about our own situation. Jesus Christ dies for us. I don't want you to miss the good news of the gospel. There are men and women that are dying every day and are spending eternity separated and isolated from God. Do not take your eternal salvation for granted. It's the gospel. It is why we are here. Melissa, if you come to the piano. The death of Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. The death of Christ on the cross paid the penalty for our sin, a debt that we could not pay. Through Christ's death on the cross, God's justice is satisfied. His mercy in our lives is magnified and His goodness, the goodness of God is glorified. And God is all about glorifying Himself. And He does it by being good to us. God is good. So what is the one thing that God requires of us? What is the one thing that God requires of all humanity in order for us to experience the expression of his goodness? Paul tells us in Romans 10 and 8. 
He says the word is near you. It's even in your mouth and in your heart. It's the word that we preach and that we teach. He says, here it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart, not just that Jesus is Lord, but that God has raised him from the dead. Did you get that? Not just, Jesus, not just the fact that Jesus is Lord, but the completion of the work is that God has raised him from the dead. If you will just believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Why? Because with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. That's what God requires. First to confess. Admit, admit your guilt and your hopelessness to do anything about it and your need for God and then repent means to submit, to surrender your life to his authority and then to believe. Commit to being a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Christ. That's what the gospel is all about. Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask the elders and the prayer team to find yourself a spot in the auditorium. And I know that I asked the question earlier of you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Many of your hands went up. Some of your hands did not. And I don't want one opportunity to go by without you having the opportunity to experience the love of Jesus Christ firsthand for yourself if you don't know him. The joy that is found in relationship with him cannot be matched because the void that you feel in your heart outside of relationship with him is a God-shaped void that can only be filled with the Spirit of God. And the only way that you're able to, to experience the Spirit of God is by embracing the good news of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would. No one walking. Maybe you're here today Maybe you just presume that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but today it hits you right between the eyes. You know, I know about Jesus, but I really don't know him. And I want to get to know him. Today is your day. You do not have to walk out of here the same, and you do not have to be embarrassed by believing that everyone in here is going to look at you and go, oh, I thought that he or she was a Christian. Eternity hangs in the balance. Don't, don't, don't let the enemy trick you. Don't let him deceive you. 
Give your heart to Jesus Christ today. There are those standing by who want to agree with you, want to meet you in prayer, want to be the first to welcome you to the body of Christ. If that's you today, make your way there. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to remember the words of the song that we sang today and be thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son, leaving your spirit to the work your work on earth is done. Father, I thank you for the awesome privilege that we've had today to just be here in your presence, to hear your word, to fellowship together. And now, Father, I pray that if there is work that's still to be done in the lives and hearts of your people here today, that you will give whoever this applies to the boldness that they need to just step out, to dare to be different, to dare to become a disciple of you who, who's dedicated and devoted as a lifelong learner to your truth and steps out today to embrace what that looks like for them for the rest of their life. And then for those, my brothers and sisters, who are in right standing with you, Lord, I pray for a spirit of praise and thanksgiving today that'll last them throughout the week as they relish in the fact and enjoy the fact that their, their salvation has been purchased by your blood. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone that agree with that prayer said,